Before we get into today's episode, I've created a short questionnaire that will help me get to know you better. Those that fill out the questionnaire will get entered into a draw to win an Amazon gift card. So there's a link in the description for the episode. Click it, fill out the questionnaire, and I look forward to hearing your feedback. Now for today's episode. This is The Michael Bryan Show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show. Today I'm joined with Simon Sharber, who is the CBD officer, which is Chief Business Development Officer at Spool, which is a DAO in the crypto um, DeFi space. But I'll let him dive into it a little bit more. So Simon, thanks for joining me. Michael, thank you so much for having me. So talk through what a DAO is, what kind of things that Spool help people with. So people that don't know get a bit more of a, a bit more of a explanation about what it does. Absolutely. So school is a decentralized autonomous organization in the DeFi space. Now, that's the long version of a DAO. The entire idea with a DAO is that basically the old and established structure of a corporation was mainly built in the 20th century for uh, for the industrialists, right? For an industrial approach where you have like hundreds of workers most of the time, very few management. So it's very hierarchical. Um, the idea with a DAO is that brought to us by the blockchain innovation. We've got a lot of new possibilities. And one of them is to organize work in a different and new way, where we bring together contributors from around the globe, really, that decide to work on a common project and organize their work and organize also the finances of this organization completely on chain. And that means on the blockchain and completely trustless. So a decentralized autonomous organization is really, uh, to some extent, like a startup, but Everything that happens with the money, everything that happens with the management, with the strategy is being decided online on the blockchain, really visible for everyone, totally transparent. And in general, for most DAOs, the purpose is fully in the blockchain space. There are a couple of DAOs popping up now that do other things, but let's say for like 95% still, they all drive forward innovation, drive a project in the blockchain space. And it's really interesting for me as well as a, I mean, organizational psychologists also by training to see how like this new form of organization develops a lot of course childhoods um, like illnesses having to be cured and lots of uh, new things have to be figured out but i think it's really amazing that we have this opportunity to build something in a truly decentralized way now what spool is doing um, if we go to the actual project and product here are protocol in the decentralized finance space maybe real quick was for DeFi. DeFi is short for decentralized finance versus the established centralized finance, where we have one central bank, for example, in the US, one central bank in the EU, one central bank in Japan, and then big commercial banks like a JP Morgan, like a Goldman Sachs, that um, m- most of us interact with throughout our lives. If we want to do banking, want to make transfers, want to store our money, and want to take out loans and so on and so far, uh, forth. Now, the issue DeFi tries to solve here is that most of traditional centralized finance is very, very intransparent and very expensive. Also, there's tremendous overhead that most people don't see. But of course, you pay somehow, some way, like a huge banks, like even a Deutsche Bank, for example, in Germany, has like 100,000 employees doing work that with the technology we have today in 2023, could be done probably by a few thousand, maybe four or five thousand employees. You could cut out most of the rest, you could cut out a lot of infrastructure, and that's the best thing. You could cut out the downtime 
and the trust that is needed. If you give your money today to a bank, they can at any point in time freeze your account and tell you that you don't have access to your money anymore. We've seen that multiple times. We've seen that in many countries now also when it comes to suppression and censorship of uh, political opponents. And with DeFi, this cannot happen. This is literally impossible. No authority can freeze your funds in proper decentralized finance. So the idea with decentralized finance is to make products that we need and want from traditional finance way cheaper, way more accessible, way more safe, um, and yeah, increase uptime massively. So there's no software outages, there's no weekends, there's no bank holidays, none of that. Markets are on 24-7. Now, school itself is a middle layer. School itself is the infrastructure, basically, that replaces fund and asset management um, tools in traditional finance. So whenever you invest in a mutual fund, exchange-traded fund, any of that kind, you have a lot, a lot of people that make sure that um, this fund is managed, that uh, the stocks are being bought and sold, that the um, coupon payments from bonds, for example, are collected. School automates all of this and makes it 100% trustless. That's why some of our biggest partners and clients include really big banks, medium-sized innovative financial institutions, lots of fintechs, lots of exchanges, uh, broker dealers, and so on and so forth. So we provide the infrastructure really to set up fully automated, fully trustless, fixed income portfolios on DeFi, on the blockchain, fully accessible to everyone, meaning you and me, we can use it just as well because it's trustless and permissionless as an HSBC or Goldman Sachs could. I'd be really curious about the effect of the individual person having a bit more of a say, I guess you could say, when it comes to finance and the financial infrastructure, I guess. So when you think about banks and things, it's very hands-off as well. Like The bank tends to take your money, do whatever it feels like it can do, and then you would benefit the percentage based on whatever you're investing in or where you're putting your money. How is it different? How does it change when it's now not about the company, but more about the individual having a bit more control because they have nightmare scenarios of people taking advantage of the system because it's, in a way, crowd-geared, crowd-engineered, like it's based on the crowd versus the company or the organization. What's stopping it from being taken advantage of as well? Like You can always think of the worst-case scenario, but why... Does it not happen like that? Like what's in place? How does it work when you take all of that away and it's purely based on the individual? So we are, as a project, building on Ethereum, which is where most of the innovation is happening, where most of the projects are. Ethereum itself started as a proof-of-work blockchain, meaning that uh, people had to employ computing power to solve mathematical um, puzzles and um, problems in order to um, validate basically new transactions. Why was this done? In order to incur cost, basically. So it costs a lot of money to first get the hardware, get the electricity, and then um, run them, run the hardware, run the software on the hardware in order to solve these puzzles and order to validate the network. So this means that um, if someone would want to attack or would want to damage the system, they would have to well invest a lot of money. Uh, we're talking about um, tens to hundreds of billions of US dollars in order to set up their own operations and build upon that. And so it, it was just never economically feasible. 
Now we switch to uh, proof of stake, which means that funds are being put directly at stake in order to secure the network. So again, it's like billions of dollars being at stake in order to make sure that um, the network reaches consensus, which means that um, what the majority of uh, validators, majority of people interacting with Ethereum uh, decide is true, also becomes written down, becomes law on the blockchain, basically. So the, the short answer is really, in traditional finance, well, we've got a, a lot of fraud, like, like really a lot, a lot, a lot of fraud and money laundering. <laughs> so yeah. we could, we can't really say it doesn't happen because it does happen. But in decentralized finance, it is simply not economically viable to really um, try to take advantage of the system, at least not on a technological level. Do you find that it's beneficial in comparison to being centralized? So if it might be you take a bit more work to manage, maybe you've got to be a bit more careful because depending on what you invest in, they go up, they go down, the bottom might fall out, that sort of thing. It can be quite hard to uh, analyze or risk manage, that sort of thing. Is it more work for the individual person when you start to do things on the blockchain? At the moment, yeah, absolutely. I, I would love to say, no, it's easier, it's better, but it's. I don't <laughs> think it's true. No. I think it is less work but it is more complex. Now, if you are trying to set up a bank account nowadays, there's a few innovative online banks where you can do it in half an hour uh, just on your own. But if you try to set up, for example, a company account with a big established bank, that takes a very long time. You have to sign like uh, tens or dozens of pages of uh, documents. You've got to sign, for example, I opened a bank account in Switzerland recently for, uh, for a company and I had to sign like 80 pages of IRS documents, American IRS wow. documents in Switzerland. So you have none of that, but you need to make sure that since blockchain technology allows you to always have full control and full access to your funds, it also, of course, gives you all of the responsibility and you have all of the opportunities to lose your funds, to just yeah, lose them in a traditional sense. If you had your money at home and your house is burning and uh, you have it in your mattress and your mattress takes uh, fire, then because it burns. Now, there's a lot of innovation happening, and a lot of this is getting a lot easier. For example, um, Argent is a wallet provider that um, allows you to do social recovery. So you could put, for example, um, some of your family members in, maybe uh, your children or something, so that you have like four or five people that if you get them all together, then you could restore your wallet, even if you lost access to it, but none of them individually um, could have any access to your funds. So I think that's already way more advanced than uh, often even in tr the traditional banking system. And it's actually more convenient. Like I'd rather call my grandmother and say, hey, can you please get like this number code I gave you out of, out of your, uh, um, yeah, wherever yeah. you stored it, than calling my bank and being like, hey, someone is um, making transactions from my account. This is not me. And then they first need me to prove that I'm me and then like do two-factor authentication. But if someone already like SIM swapped me and basically attacked my SIM card, then I can't invalidate it's me and the transactions just go on willy-nilly. So I do believe that now I've been in the space for about 10 years now in blockchain uh, professionally. And I believe we're really just taking the first baby steps, especially when it comes to end consumer grade products that are really so simple, so straightforward that you get them without investing a lot of time, that you can download an app, 
set up your wallet, set up social recovery, all with like in like less than one hour. And it makes sense. I think we're getting there. It will be a, maybe a year or two more until this reaches mainstream, but we're quickly getting there. Now I've had, I've, I could tell you stories about the traditional financial system and like, uh, yeah, topics, funny experiences I had with other companies I had um, in the blockchain space and outside of the blockchain space. But there's a lot of fraud happening. And honestly, to me personally, none of that ever happened. Now, of course, it's a different story if we talk about investing in very risky tokens, like investing in very risky stocks. That's a different story. I'm not just talking about using the system kind of as intended for working purposes, for technological purposes. Investing in assets is always a different discussion. Yeah, I get the impression that it depends on where you put your money as well. The amount of people that would invest in, let's say, Bitcoin right before it, it halved its value and everyone shouting about why that happened or people are losing thousands, tens of thousands, millions even. And it just gives you the impression that it's so hard to get it right. It's so hard to really sit there, analyze all the data and think, I'm actually going to make the right move here or the best possible move with the information that I'm given, let's say, because there's no such thing as knowing fully what's going to happen. It's so hard to know that it's the right decision that it's the right choice and i guess that's why loads of people are still not really getting involved because if they fail you know if it doesn't work out if it doesn't go well then i've wasted my time doing all the research all of the risk management finding the right thing to put my money into and then the whole thing disappears anyway is there any tips for people that are in that situation where let's say that investments mattered a bit more like if you've got a diverse portfolio if you've got funds dotted about all over different places some might go up some might go down but as long as you gain something at the end of it all then in your mind it's still it's still justified but if it's more important to you that you get it right that you make the decisions right how do you help those people so it's really two different things right if first of all i believe if you do the research if you learn about new technology it's never lost right it's always a skill that's useful at least i believe so so it's better than just watching tv in the evening like if you sit in front of your pc and start reading up on new topic that's never lost um then on the other hand side it's very much an old story like nothing about that is new right we've got stock markets for hundreds of years now and i mean the same time a bitcoin dropped by like 50 60 percent Snapchat dropped by like 90%, Facebook dropped by like 60%, right? All the technology stock, it was a complete bloodbath. Um, and it's really a story as old as time, like Baron Rothschild uh, said, like buy when there's blood on the streets, right? But no one wants that because it goes so deeply against um, what we as humans are made for, basically. If everyone tells us something is bad, that's generally when we should take a second look because um, it's very rare that such a large majority of people has it really right. It's more of a um, social proof thing where then biases come in and that just reinforces itself as a meme of um, this is bad or this is good and then everyone's on the bandwagon, but it never lasts. This always reverses because trends, um, yeah, trends are made to reverse basically after time. So I absolutely know the story. Like no one wanted Ethereum, for example, when it was at like 80 to 100 US dollar after it rose to 1,700, just like half a year before. And yeah, this was obviously the time to buy, right? Because now we're still around 2,000 again. It's like a hardcore yeah. bear market. The mm -hmm. Fed has raised rates to like 4.5%. Money is extremely expensive right now, and it's probably going to get more expensive. 
but no one wants Bitcoin at 10K. Everyone wants Bitcoin at 70K. No one wants Ethereum at 100 USD. Everyone wants it at 1,000, at 2,000, at 3,000 USD. And that's because everyone else wants it at that time. And we as humans um, deeply care about social proof. We care about validation. We care about not being outcasts. We're afraid of um, being pushed away. We're afraid of being turned away. And if we do something that goes against common wisdom, everyone's going to tell us, hey, that's stupid, right? Crypto is dead. Why would you buy now? That's like it's going to go to zero. But in reality, if you bought anywhere between 80 or even 500 US dollars, you made a you made a solid amount of money, right? And with Bitcoin, the same story. If you bought anywhere between, I remember Bitcoin at like 400 USD or something. That's why I bought my first Bitcoin. And everyone told me, look, it's you're getting scammed. It's like random internet money. It's did you sending money to some Americans and Russians and whatever? That's <laughs> it's a fucking scam. You're losing your money. But it. That's the thing. I read up on the technology. I thought it was really a breakthrough. I thought it was really interesting. And at least I wanted to be part of history, want to be part of um, whatever this experiment is. And of course, it paid off. And whenever we had a drawback, like I bought my last Ethereum when it was like around uh, 1,300, 1,400 during the last pullback, because I know what these assets and technologies are enabling, what they're doing. I mean, Ethereum is, is crazy to me. It's this work computer that allows anyone to run applications that no one can stop and you basically pay for use and it's extremely profitable right like it's it's none of that is artificial if you can audit it at every single point in time every second every block you can check how profitable ethereum is and people are willing to pay for it now we've been with ethereum since proof of stake we've been um deflationary meaning there is less and less ethereum and if you stake you get around 5% at the moment in yield, which is, of course, way better than what you're getting from even money market funds traditionally. So I believe if you look at fundamentals and if you take the actual wisdom of buying when there's blood on the streets and when everyone cries that it will go to zero, you might have to wait a bit, but you're very likely to make money. It's not investment advice. It's just like literally the oldest financial literature, like The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. For example, it's still the same because hysteria and trends don't really change. I'd love to get your opinion on something, actually. And this is something that I've thought about. I've had a couple of people mention it and it's making me think. And I wonder what your thought is on the whole idea of, I guess, decentralizing it bringing the power back to the people so to speak does that not then make the whole thing a bit like a popularity contest or like uh get enough people to back you then it'll be a success and it started many many years ago and obviously businesses need customers and clients which means they have to want to work with you aka be popular and it just feels a bit samey where everything's about how many people you can get in on the thing the project the the DAO, the the coin, the code, the system, whatever it is, it just seems like everyone is trying to make their thing the popular thing. And it's why like hype happens and everyone gets press in the first six months and then it all dies down. It just seems like it's more of the same in terms of everyone's just trying to get everybody else on board of this thing. But what if I noticed that's different is people benefit by sharing it when it comes to some of the 
blockchains and coins. So like everyone was promoting Bitcoin because it drives the price up and then you benefit. So you've got an incentive to promote it and get your friends in on the same thing as well. And tell you the truth as well, Simon, I got uh, Bitcoin emails years ago of buy this Bitcoin and I'm thinking, no. But I still get them now. That's the worst thing. I still get them now as if like, clearly no one knows that I interview people like yourself and they all think I'm going to fall for it and it's just the way it's been positioned initially some people don't really grow out of that they don't really they get a bitcoin email a scam email and they think well bitcoin's just a scam then if these are the kinds of emails that I get it's probably moved on since then but they won't they won't know that so how how helpful is it for people when it's marketed that way or it's what their impression is of it when well, people are only promoting it getting people on board because they benefit and they drive the price up like short in stocks let's say it's kind of similar thing why is it no different why is it not improving or getting better and I get that the system blockchain itself is like a trustful system because it's like peer-to-peer code-to-code kind of system but the way like outside of that, mm. it's still the, the same. It's still like a popularity thing of how many people you can get in. And it's like, okay, well, if I get people in after I get in, <laughs> it drives the whole thing up and then I can sell it and I'm more better off because of it. Yeah, I this might be controversial, but I believe this entire thing has done a massive disservice to the development really of the space. During the last bull market, we've had the most toxic of people, especially on Twitter and in, in the podcast scene also going around and tell the most ridiculous things, right? And we called them Bitcoin maxis, the guys who believe also that everything else is a scam or the money should only flow to Bitcoin because they had exposure. We had people who built the entire companies around just being toxic to everything else, um, ridiculing the stock market, ridiculing other assets, ridiculing um, Ethereum and so on for actually building things right actually having companies that build on top and that actually create value and i believe like that was prime grifting literally uh, it's like um it was the same guys that traditionally run mlms like uh, i don't want to get sued so i'm not going to mention them but that traditionally run those those businesses that ruin especially low-income environments low-income communities by getting them to put their last savings into buying stock of some overpriced products it's the exact same people really and yeah, I believe it's done a massive disservice. The issue is, it's not like there's a central authority or something for Bitcoin that could say, um, don't do that. We send you a subpoena or we send you uh, any like a letter from our lawyers to stop doing that. That's the entire thing. Like no one owns Bitcoin um, as a tech and as a platform. And the same thing for every other proper, reliable, big crypto project. They are decentralized. So people can do with them whatever they want. And by virtue of there being liquid markets and these grifters having discovered that there's still a lot of mainstream um, potential purchasers that haven't heard of it yet, they saw an opportunity, right? And I, I don't even think it was for, especially for the thought leaders, for the podcasters, for the Twitter personalities that really drove this train. It wasn't even about making a lot of money with Bitcoin because Bitcoin was like at the trillion dollar market cap. So even the most you can get it up is like by maybe a hundred percent if the Fed is printing money like crazy and all the stocks are going up. 
that's not worth it, right? If you invest 10K and you get 20K, but you put in a lot of work, it's most likely not worth it. So I think for them, it was really about building a tribe, building like fanatic followers, um, selling merchandise, um, selling subscriptions, selling their Substack, their medium and so on. And I think some of them made a killing. It's it's like the traditional political comment uh, um, is seen as well, where people have like one side of the spectrum has ridiculous opinions and then the other one responds to it and they just go back and forth and try to like widen the guy up, make sure that there's like no one in the middle left anymore and everyone feels like there's the enemy at the gates and the other side wants to destroy you and it works like a few people can make a lot of money but in the process they ruin our countries they ruin our markets they ruin innovation and hope of the future uh, i don't want to get too negative here but that's really how <laughs> i see it yeah, it, it's weird, though, because of how it's like Bitcoin and crypto has become the how behind what their messaging is. It's like if you're running a business, you talk about the result of the thing that you have. So for Bitcoin, it could be get rich quick, you know, or, yeah. you know, retire and live on a beach somewhere on the, the price increase of your Bitcoin. So they're selling that. And then underneath it, it's invest in this or join this tribe of people that are all planning on doing the same thing. Like if you can get a hundred people to work together, you can do quite a lot with that. No matter what their income level is, you can do quite a lot with a hundred people all constantly shorting different things at different times and it's becoming a system that is fueled by people and then as soon as you realize that well most of the problems that we have in this world are people problems that's just causing it to happen again it's like history repeating itself the entire time so i wonder what you think the solution is what do you think would have to happen for us to have the benefit without all this potential negative going on. I wonder if there is a way. Is there a way? So there's kind of the natural way, which is um, like the free market hypothesis, right? That um, the market kind of cleanses itself. Like right now we're in an extended bear market and like the voices are pretty much gone, the toxic voices on Twitter and so on, because they can't make money anymore. As you mentioned, so many people have been burned. They bought Bitcoin because they saw this big rich guy driving a Bugatti telling them they have to buy Bitcoin and become part of like the financially free elite living in Bali and whatnot. And they're like, okay, this was a fucking scam. I'm not touching that again. And this is what also happens in traditional finance, right? The tourists kind of leave. The same with venture capitalists. And we had the entire SPAC development, the reverse um, take, take public um, with like Bill Ackman and Shamat and so on. The, the typical Wall Street grifters and scammers, really. They're like, um, buy a stock or short a stock. Then they go on CNBC and then Bloomberg and tell everyone to buy the stock. And then they sell it as soon as uh, something happens. It's, it's again, it's age old and the the issue, it's not really an issue because we can't solve it. But the one thing we have as humanity, right, is that um, about every 20 years, we've got a new generation that came into this world without knowing anything, having to learn everything. And I think financial markets are so contrary to our tradition, to our to us born and genetically um, given human way of seeing the world, because it's basically whenever someone does something, you should do the opposite. Uh, whenever a lot of people do something and go crazy, you should do the opposite in Wall Street. And 
you can only learn that the hard way with experience that people can tell you a hundred times when then there's um, everyone's getting rich and everyone's like able to buy expensive things with their um, GME stocks from the short squeeze on Wall Street bets. And yeah, I believe that you have to learn it the hard way. You can't just, oh yeah, someone told me I shouldn't buy now, but everyone you see, all your friends, everyone's getting rich trading on Robinhood. So I think the most healthy way, and uh, it's like the libertarian side of me, is to let people learn the lesson, really. Like, um, understand that that guy with all the Instagram models and the, the uh, really rented Bugatti and so on um, is not your friend. He does not want the best for you. Like, he needs to pay rent. He needs to pay the rent for his cars because he doesn't own them. It's all really expensive. So he needs to sell your online courses. He doesn't care about you being financially free or you getting rich. He cares about him getting rich. That's fine. But people need to understand that. And I think the only way you can is by learning painful lessons. Are there many particular resources out there that are trusted in the space where, okay, we want to research a such and such a, a coin or a, a blockchain code that we want to research, use, utilize, that sort of thing? I really feel like we need a more trusted source because if you scroll twitter you're probably not going to get the right information if you scroll any social media really you're probably not going to get the right information and yet that's where a lot of people of a particular generation get their information it's where they go it's where they spend most of their time so even if we share something that's actually helpful they're probably not going to get the majority of their information from that source anyway so we almost need to get rid of the people that are pretending that are, it's a bit like um, banks as well, isn't it? Where yeah. their expenses are so high, they have to sell you this thing in order to be able to run. I imagine renting Bugattis are not cheap either. So they yeah. have to sell this thing to be able to keep up the facade of, of what their marketing is. It just feels like the same kind of thing in a way. But what's better what's the resource that you might use what's the resource do you recommend your family use if you're wanting to get them involved but get the right information so uh, you touched on something very important because i think we have a massive issue there like back when i got into blockchain it was really just a couple of mostly ma mathematical and like cryptography nerds having like very very dry talks on youtube about like how the code works so it was very clean, honestly. Like you could read almost stuff and like watch most videos. It was just like a guy in like an oddly fitting suit in some university classroom and like explaining <laughs> things um, or like sitting at home with a very bad camera. But the talk, the quality was very high. They really, they didn't care about anything besides the code. And then you would be in forums. Like, I mean, I learned about um, Ethereum and both. Ethereum and Bitcoin and 4chan, like on the business board, even back then, like in 2012, 2013. And it was very clean. If you go there now, it's just AstroTurf, it's just advertising, it's just different coins being pumped. And so the, I think the environment has massively changed and it's not easy at all for people to get into the space. So the best way to do it is really, and that's already hard, I believe as well, getting into like Discord servers and Telegram groups that are not scammers, that are not trying to sell you some tokens, but that literally just do want to do the research that are authentic, also in um, admitting what they don't know, where you're just in with kindred people, really. And if you do your research, because any project you're looking at that you're considering, 
they should have documentation that is so comprehensive that even if you don't understand everything, that at least you feel like there's answers to all your questions. If they say, um, oh yeah, um, we solved this by um, quantum uh, hydroxide, uh, I don't know, um, some complex thing, and then they just leave it at, that's like one paragraph, but we do some mambo jambo AI stuff, it's probably a scam. If you go to their Discord server, if you try to interact with the team and the team just dismisses you or like seems arrogant or they don't um, want to give you an easy to understand answer, it's probably a scam. If some project is on social media, mostly talking about the token price, it's probably a scam. If the product is not even launched or the product seems unrealistic or the product has like a huge history of being delayed and not coming out, it's probably a scam. So I think you should look at it the same way you look at stocks. And I, I know that most people only look at some headline on like Wall Street bets or on some uh, newspaper and then they buy and sell based on that. But it should be looked at the same way. What are the fundamentals? What are the um, opportunities? Of course, in crypto, it's way more like tech stocks and venture capital plays where um, a lot of them are not profitable, especially in a bear market. It's about the growth potential and what you could see in the next like three to five years um, is the possibility of strong increase in users, strong increase in revenue and so on based on a product that you believe has actual use, has actual users in this world that are willing to spend money for it. If you believe that, it makes sense. And um, again, the team is available. The team is not arrogant. The team is willing to talk to you and explain things in very simple words. And there's proper documentation. And I'm talking really about hundreds of pages should be there for any serious protocol. Again, like in stock market, there should be a proper prospectus explaining the risks, explaining how things work, explaining where the money is coming from. Um, I think that's how it should be looked at. I wonder if there's an element of if they have a lot of money to invest, they've got a lot sitting around that they think, you know what, I could put this to to better use. They're probably likely to be able to do the research that is needed before they put it somewhere. But if they're of, you know, average income, maybe they work full time, family, that sort of mm -hmm. thing. It can be so hard to put in the hours that you would need to be able to then make a decision. And I've noticed things change really quickly as well. So the information that you read last week may not be accurate this week. So you've got to be able to consume the information fast enough, decide fast enough to be able to then actually get the benefit from it and actually realize, oh, this isn't the right decision. Things are moving up. Things are going well. And then having the ability to sell if they want to, withdraw what they need and then put it in and do it that way. It's almost like day trading for mm with sort of crypto and on the blockchain is there a, an option for that other people out there that do day trade in a way on the the blockchain yeah so that's really two different crowds i think if you day trade you need to do this at least like six hours a day seriously like in front of your pc just sitting there no break um if you have a job it's like really a big thing. If you have like a job that you actually need to go to, not your home office or something, then my honest advice is, and there's not investment advice, but stay away from day trading because as you said, things change so fast, really. Like the stock market is old man country. It's like properly regulated and everything compared to crypto. It's you need to be on the ball almost 24 seven. And it's very 
it's very grindy. I know so many people that got burned out after like two or three years, um, just being on top, flipping um, small cap coins, um, just like playing around, trying to go for that 10x, for that 100x. And they got it sometimes, right? And other times they lose. But it's extremely consuming. And not only time consuming, it's, it's like sucking out your soul to a large extent. It's crazy. Uh, so if you're single, if you're like in your 20s or something and you have the time and you're willing to, then hey, sure, go for it. I mean, I definitely did it. And many people that kind of grew up with me in blockchain did it. Yeah. But if you have a job, if you have a family, like I now have family, I now have a, like a very uh, time intense job. So even I'm not like flipping small cap coins. Uh, what I'm doing is I see Ethereum kind of as the the index to a large extent for all the innovation that happens in blockchain, because even layer twos like a polygon, like an Arbitrum and so on, that really innovate, they kind of feed value back to Ethereum. They build on top of Ethereum. Ethereum is like the network that brings you finality and where innovation happens when new products are being built, where a JP Morgan, a Sachs, a Goldman Sachs, um, Project Onyx and so on, they're all built on that in some way or another. So, and it's highly profitable really, where I can just buy Ethereum, very straightforward, I get the exposure, as in it's a volatile asset. If usage goes up, then first of all, the return I get for staking it goes up. So right now it's like at around 5%, can go up to 6, 7, maybe 8%, depends a bit. And at the same time, if the Ethereum price itself goes up, I also have exposure to that. Of course, it can also go down, but I see it as a proxy for the entire blockchain innovation space. So what I personally do is I just buy Ethereum and stake. And um, because I believe in the future of the industry, um, a lot of my net worth is in that. So that's really my not finan uh, financial advice, not investment advice, but I think that's the most straightforward way to have exposure to the asset class without having to worry about every day. It can, of course, fluctuate, but you have the full upside while also having a fixed income title where you just get like a, a solid payout every year. I think that's something that's worth digging into a little bit because so many people are seeing all these tokens these assets these currencies i guess these coins they're all over the place they're up and down everything's changing but you mentioned that you just get ethereum because of the more regular payouts and the slightly more i guess stable you could say in terms of how it can move is that where you see the the portfolios going like that's how you invest that's how you would suggest someone that's after a more stable a more regular i guess you could say income from crypto and from DeFi. is that where you would suggest people put their money it really depends right so of course people want the 1000x on the peppy coin because they see other people getting rich but it's not like you can't have that and only spend like one or two hours a day on it, or maybe even just a few hours per week. Like if you want that, you need to be very early, you need to know the right people, you need to be in those groups. It's a full-time job, and I'm not kidding, it's really a full-time job without any guarantee of ever getting paid, with like a probably 90% chance of losing all your money. So it's like a full-time job that very, very likely costs you all of the money you put in. <laughs> so wow. I see that as... If you don't put in the time to make friends and know the right people, go to conferences and hear of things very early, then I believe you shouldn't do it um, because it's just gambling. And it's fine, right? Like I believe that people should be allowed to gamble with their money if they want to, if they're grown adults, it's their money. But it should be seen as such. But people try to call it investing when they have no clue like what's happening, where the price is going or why it would have value. Besides, I think other people will also get in. Again, fair point. 
but then don't be surprised if you lose your money. So I believe, yeah, Ethereum is very straightforward. If you want a volatile asset where you have exposure to crypto as a whole going up and you want somewhat of regular payouts. But of course, if you want the most stable of things, then use a Use an aggregator, basically, something that allows you to be diversified across many, many different yield sources. You can even do that as a, with a stable coin. Just have like a savings account where you set up, um, for example, a, a spool vault or you participate in one. Right now, we, through incentives, even have some that yield like 8 or 9%. It's very stable. It's broadly diversified, so and it's risk managed automatically. So even if there's an issue with maybe one of the underlying um, yield strategies, you don't lose all your money. You maybe at most lose like 10% or something, but you're getting like 9% per year. So um, we've been running for more than a year now. We've had like 70, 80 million in deposits already. We have not lost a cent, even though some of the strategies that were in Spool Worlds have completely died. Spool protected so far all of the invested money from investors. And we're very proud of that because we believe in DeFi, we're really taking away the risk of a counterparty. So, for example, a bank going bankrupt or a company going bankrupt. We take that away completely. But that means that there's 100% basically a technology risk. That means if there's an issue with code that can be really disastrous. But you can solve that. To, uh, you can manage that through diversification. Because if you're in 10 unrelated protocols, for example, if there's one of them um, being exploited instead of losing 100% due to some code issue, you at most have exposure, whatever you have. So I believe that is the future. Of course, I'm biased because I'm working for Spool, but I'm also working for Spool because I believe this is the future uh, where we really solve the one key issue in crypto where it's often one or zero, it's binary. Either your money is there or it's gone. It's like all of it is either there or it's gone. So you can get really good yields and you can solve the binary issue by being broadly diversified. Now, why not do it um, manually? <clears throat> it's because Ethereum, as I said, is very profitable. It costs basically money to use it. It's like it it's like a machine that needs oil. And the oil is the gas in Ethereum. And this costs money. So unless you're a big asset manager with maybe 5 to 10 million at least in assets that you rebalance, you should do it via an aggregator like Spool that really allows you to do all of that gas-free because we just batch it with everyone else that does similar transactions. So transactions are put into the same blocks and so on. So it becomes very, very cheap and it makes it very cheap. It's, it's free to use, basically. It's free of gas fees. So that makes Ethereum stable income available for everyone, even if you just have a few thousand. What do you think about some institutions getting involved with DeFi? I think I heard that some major banks are creating their own cryptocurrencies as well. What do you think about that? Do you think they're trying to take over? Do you think it will cause banks to become more decentralized? Or do you think it's their attempt to centralize it? I think there's a lot of misunderstanding in the crypto space when it comes to understanding big banks. Because I've been working with a lot of them over the past 10 years, and especially with a lot of C-level people, they're huge, right? Like if an organization has like 100,000 people, then yeah, of course, they're split across different business units. But if then you're in the you know, fund management and servicing um, department, it's still hundreds of, uh, of team members. They require funding from another entity and so on and so forth. Most people in there are busy with politics, really. And whenever like a... a project is taken uh, on whenever there's like they want to try something 
it's a grind. It's extremely slow. It takes forever. Like recently, I had a call with one of the biggest asset managers in the world, like 800 billion under management. And they literally told me, Simon, this is all really cool. And we actually want to do it, I think. But this year, we only do strategy. That means this year, we decide on what we want to do with blockchain. Next year, then if we've decided yes, next year, we decide how we want to do it. And maybe the year after, we can really do stuff. So there's a lot of like um, window dressing happening, like with AI, where like everyone now has an AI advisor and uh, everyone has like some blockchain uh, service, but it's very, very minimal. And from my experience, most of the departments working on it, even at those really big banks, they hardly have any funding. So that's also why often they try to do centralized stuff. That's also often why the products we see from them seem very lackluster, but it's like a centralized chain. It's like the code is weird. And the answer most of the time is you believe these guys are rich and huge bank and they've got billions to invest. Now, the answer most of the time, that's like a team of three or four people and they had to fight really hard internally to even be allowed to do this. And then they've got a lot, a lot of compliance and internal rules about how they can build it. So no one is happy with that, like not even the people that built it. So overall, I'm happy that they, most of the banks I'm talking to are interested, at least if you talk to the right people, and they see, most of them I talk to, they see the uh, potential. Like I've talked to, and we're working with some really big banks, and the people I work with, they truly believe that there's no need for big parts of the central banking system, like the core banking system in the next five to 10 years. and some of them really get also that there's a existential crisis looming where yeah maybe you really don't need all of those people maybe you really can um, hand over those services to a trustless system and that's kind of the the gamble of do we take the first step do we take the possible risk um, also do we take the possible um, um yeah there's a big topic around um pr really right and branding if you see in the news then on oh, hsbc is um engaging a blockchain but hey isn't that the money laundering bank ah, now they're trying to do the like criminal blockchain stuff right and they're very very afraid of that a lot more than of um potentially being left behind with innovation so it's a lot of fighting internally so i don't think any of those banks are taking over anytime soon uh, i would actually welcome more funds being pulled in pushed into um developing blockchain products, even if they're centralized, even if they're kind of weird and not usable for retail users, uh, because it just means there's more, again, tech innovation. Like I came into the space when it was just nerds building cool stuff. And that's what got me in. And yeah, people building more stuff. And since it's on chain somehow, also publishing papers of how they do it and so on. I think that's good for the space. Yeah, I, I think it's something that we can only really see what happens when when it develops but as you said a lot of the people that these big organizations they're spending time with their current things as well they're managing centralized elements as well so i guess it depends on how much time and energy they put in towards it just because they start I mean, everyone i mean i i saw people with their own coins and i'm thinking that's a bit odd um so i think we're in a space where if it ever works out that way, it'll just depend on whichever organization dedicates the most amount to it. They'll be like the quickest to to ground, I guess you could say, the quickest to breaking ground on on their system. It'll just depend on how, how much they dedicate to it. I'd be interested to see how it develops, how maybe it'll make 
institutions more decentralized maybe it'll give more people customers whatever you would call the clients of a bank if they had more control over their finances within the banking system that would then cause the DeFi to have to change because it's like the institutions are, are catching up a little bit more and they need to do more to be able to keep ahead i suppose you could say do you think that'll be what it might get to do you think we'll get to that point where it'll be a race to see who can give people the most amount of influence over their finances where they dedicate it whether banks will just convert all accounts into portfolios and you can choose where it's allocated so that your percentage might go up so you convert everything into like a investment account versus just a savings account that that kind of thing is that where you see it going? Do you think it'll be a race between blockchain and more traditional institutions where it becomes like a race to see you can benefit us more, I guess you could say? I think for the foreseeable future, we'll have things separately where really the innovation I see in the banking space coming out of traditional financial institutions is very, very internal. So that means the things they build end users don't see. Like, for example, I know in, in Germany, one very innovative bank that brought, for example, Siemens uh, stock and I think a bond onto, uh, they issued it on Polygon completely and now it's running on Polygon. They basically built yeah, this issuance and maintenance um, software system for issuing corporate bonds um, on chain, on, on Polygon, but for end users, so both for the... Uh, corporate really issuing it and for the well normally also other funds investing into it with these large corporate bonds it's not really impacting them like they don't see much maybe they pay less fees than they normally would maybe things work faster than they normally would and things are a bit more transparent because you can check an audit in real time instead of whenever someone decides to push a database but it, it wouldn't matter for them like if it's on polygon or on uh, some other network or yeah, they don't really see it. They don't really notice it. So I think this very separately and a lot of, let's say the Twitter hype and like the, the not very reliable news sources are construing this as, oh, they're trying to build their private stuff. They're trying to build things internally, but of course they would. This, those are private companies, right? Like their entire purpose is to maximize shareholder value. And uh, like, again, as a libertarian, I believe that's a very, very honest goal at least like you know exactly what the company is trying to do trying to maximize shareholder value you can um, from that extrapolate their moves and you can kind of understand why they act the way they do um, now it becomes a different story when uh, companies try to uh, try to tell their shareholders try to tell their customers that they're in it for some other goal like uh, i don't know um, you know, there's a lot of things that companies tell people that they want to do, but in reality, it's all about maximizing shareholder value. And it's very straightforward if they say it. And while in the more public facing space where we also get points we can invest in, where we can fund new projects that want to build innovation and take a gamble and uh, build a product that hopefully produces a lot of returns in the future. Um, those will build out in the open and communicate about what they do and um, try to get and build a community, tell them what they're doing, and host um, a lot of open um, open mic Q&As and so on. And they will be very vocal about what they do. So they will be perceived as the like the people's projects, and the others will be seen as like the private, big money, uh, big corporation projects. But in reality, like there's 
I believe absolutely zero needs to uh, for those to compete. It's just very different stuff. And again, I believe firmly in not so much in a multi-chain world anymore as I did like maybe a few years ago. I very much believe that almost everything is built on Ethereum. Ethereum has very in a very, very boring manner executed all of the big updates that were laid out already 2014. Um, like we moved to proof of stake, we are now able to withdraw. We've got layer twos that make it very cheap to interact with Ethereum, basically finality with the trust of a huge network that's almost impossible even for nation states um, to attack. So we've got everything we wanted from Ethereum without big news, without hype, without um, really people screaming about it or being very afraid. And I think that's great because that's exactly what I want from a system where I'm running like 99% of my personal banking right now. Like I'm, I mean, paying contractors and paying suppliers in US dollar stablecoins running on Ethereum because it's so much cheaper and faster than doing it uh, with the banking system, especially if I'm in Europe. And I've got someone in the US, I've got someone in Brazil or in the Philippines working for me, where I can just send it to them. It's there in like less than 30 seconds reliably. It costs a fraction of any other service. And yeah, they get it and they can do whatever they want with it. So yeah, I believe in that really being the future. Well, I hope that it's definitely a, a positive future i'm sure if you guys at spill keep doing what it is that you're doing i'm sure there are other organizations out there that are on the i guess the more righteous path and trying to make things better rather than just making money for the sake of it and i wonder if you could share a bit about yourself how can people connect with you and how can people find spool as well to give people the chance to get involved Yes, certainly. For me, the best way really to connect is via LinkedIn. I'm really active there. Even if you shoot me a message, I'm very likely to respond. Uh, it's uh, Simon Schaber, S-C-H-A-B-E-R, and uh, Simon like Simon, S-I-M-O-N. Um, so just connect with me on LinkedIn. That's really the best way of going about it. Spool, um, check out app.spool.fi or enterprise.spool.fi. Um, the last one is our website explaining what Spool really does and what it's good for. And app.spool.fi is the application itself, the decentralized application you can interact with, you can use. And I think if you are interested to learn more, basically we talked about how to learn more about the project earlier uh, on the website, on the DAP, you will find links to our Discord, join our Discord, um, hop in and discuss. We have very lively discussions recently um, with great community. We have people asking questions, people being really helpful also on the technical side. We've got hundreds of pages of documentation, but also short form documentations that you can read within like uh, an hour or something. So yeah, um, connect with us and uh, on Twitter, also spool.fi, um, check it out. And thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Those that are listening, feel free to subscribe, share the show, tell others, and also leave a review wherever you are listening in to your podcasts. Simon, it's been great to have you on. I've enjoyed it and I look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you.